Hey everybody, welcome to the Your Move Podcast, where we are all about helping you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. I'm Andy Stanley, and before we jump into today's podcast, I wanted to take just a moment to personally thank everyone who supports Your Move. It's the generosity of people like you, our podcast listeners and subscribers, that make this podcast possible. If listening to the podcast has inspired you to make better decisions or perhaps live life a little bit differently, I hope you'll consider supporting Your Move with a tax-deductible gift. Just text your move, all one word, your move to 77977. That's your move to 77977. Or visit yourmove.is slash give. That's yourmove.is slash give. Again, to donate, text your move to 77977 or you can give online. As always, thanks for your support. And now back to the podcast in terms of heroes and especially when it comes to superheroes, I'm still a fan of the original Wonder Woman. Thank you. And I'll tell you why, okay? And you may be surprised at this. Um, I love the original Wonder Woman because she didn't have any superpower, she didn't have a costume, and she didn't wear a mask. It was just good old rescue the girl, nuke the planet, and walk away. Rescue the girl, nuke the planet, and walk away. And of course, I'm talking about the original Wonder Woman, Ellen Ripley from Aliens, right? <laughs> Isn't she the original Wonder Woman at 1986? Is this, not, is this anybody else's favorite film? No? It's the ultimate relationship movie. So I, I don't, I'm not feeling any energy around this, okay? <laughs> So really, this is one of my, one of my favorite movies, and, and, and you know, Sigourney Weaver in this film, and the films that followed, and there's a new one about to come out, I'm just so excited about, about that. Um, she, she, was inc- she was incredible. Now, the other great thing, or not so great thing, actually, about this movie, is whenever I talk about this movie, it reminds me of my worst parenting moment, okay? So just to kind of bring me back down to below average for just a second, my worst parenting moment, um, Allie, who's now in her 20s, was 10, um, and so I was home alone with her, Sandra was off with the boys, and I'd watched all the children's movies I could possibly watch, and she said, Dad, let's watch a movie. <laughs> and I said, have you seen Aliens? Like the greatest <laughs> movie of all time? It's all about girls, little girls in this movie, and you know, it's, I just wonder if she's like trusting her dad, let's watch Aliens. Honestly, to this day when you ask Allie, what's, the, what's your dad's worst moment as a parent? She would tell you when he made me watch Aliens and I was 10 years old, okay? So let's talk, about, let's talk about heroes, seriously. A hero, what is a hero? A hero is somebody who saves the day. I mean, we, we all know this. A hero is somebody who saves the day. Sometimes they save the planet, you know, sometimes they save the world, but for sure they save someone and they save the day and they save someone's day, which means that the whole idea of being a hero is a bit inaccessible. If heroes save the day, then I can't be a hero. If heroes save the day, then you probably can't be a hero because heroes save the day and that sort of puts it out of reach and we can just fantasize about it and dream about it and celebrate it when other people do extraordinary things. But you're not gonna save the day and I'm not gonna save the day. And so, unfortunately, it sort of makes it inaccessible until Jesus comes along. And Jesus comes along, and I absolutely love, love, love what we're gonna talk about for the next few minutes. Jesus comes along, and because he's Jesus, because he's the master storyteller, because he's the master communicator, he actually, with one single question, takes away all of our excuses not to be a hero. And not just for Christians, not just for Jesus followers, not even just for religious people, for everyone in every nation, in every single generation. So I wanna tell you this story. 
and explain and land this extraordinary, extraordinary question. Because this question, for every single one of you, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what your religious beliefs are, no matter what you've experienced in life, this single question is the on-ramp for you to have the opportunity to save the day. Here's how the story goes. On one occasion, on one occasion, there were more than one, but on this particular occasion, on one occasion, an expert in the law, that's just a fancy Bible way of saying an attorney, a lawyer. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He's actually gonna ask him a question about the law. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is a really good question. But Jesus is Jesus. So Jesus knew this wasn't the real question that there was a question behind the question. So what did Jesus do? He asked the man a question. And here's what he asked. He says to this teacher of the law, what is written in the law, he replied. In other words, you're the expert. You're the expert in the law. The previous verse just told us that. You're the expert in the law. You tell me and we'll both know. In other words, how do you read it, Jesus asked. What's written in the law, how do you read it? Now, what the lawyer does next is so appropriate. The lawyer, what he does next is he actually quotes or recites the passage from the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, that every single Jewish little boy and girl grew up memorizing. Jesus memorized it as a boy. This lawyer memorized it as a boy. Everybody in Jesus' audience probably could recite this verse by heart because this was the answer to the question, what does God want most? How do you get in good with God? What's the greatest commandment? How do you have eternal life? How do you ensure that God's gonna listen to your prayers and answer your prayers? They say this, love the Lord, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and the whole crowd's nodding, and all your soul, the whole crowd's nodding, and all your strength, the whole crowd's nodding, and with all your mind. Pause for just a minute. That was the correct answer to the question. Now, a little bit earlier in another Q&A session with Jesus with some people who were trying to stump Jesus, somebody asked Jesus the same question a different way. They asked the question this way, what's the greatest commandment? In other words, what makes God most happy? What's God really into? What's God's top priority? And Jesus answered the question like he had been raised to answer the question. He answered the question like everybody in the audience would answer the question, but as most of you know, or many of you know, Jesus added a second part. And what Jesus added was, and your what? Neighbor as what? That's right, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, we don't get this because we live in the 21st century, but I'm telling you, when Jesus added a second verse to what everyone knew was the correct answer to the question of how do you get in good with God, how do you please God, how do you have eternal life, what's the greatest commandment? When Jesus added a second part, a ripple went through the crowd because now he was messing with tradition. Now he was messing with what they had learned as Jewish boys and Jewish girls. This signal, this is so important, this signaled a shift. This signaled a shift from a vertical orientation to God to a horizontal orientation with God. This was a big, big deal. Now, the second part that Jesus added, you know, and your neighbor as yourself, actually comes from the Jewish scriptures, comes from the book of Leviticus. But what's significant about this verse is that in this verse, the author actually defines neighbor. In the verse, the verse actually tells us exactly what and who a neighbor is. Here's, here's the passage from Leviticus, then we're gonna jump back into Jesus' conversation with the attorney, so follow me on this. This is the verse that Jesus quoted when he was first asked the question, what is God really into, what's most important to God? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Where did you get that? Jesus would say, I got that from the Jewish scriptures. Here's how the Jewish scriptures put it, back in Leviticus. 
Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone. Let's read these three words out loud together. Among your people. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, those are not my people. Those are my people. This is where that came from. You didn't know that. If you're quoting the Old Testament, my people, these are my people. Those are not, they're not my people. Okay, they're not my people. You're gonna go to that party? No, those aren't my people. Okay, so in a, in a very ethnic kind of way, in a very nationalistic kind of way, what this verse basically meant was, hey, when it comes to how you treat people, you need to make sure that you don't bear a grudge against anybody who's your people. And then the author repeats the same idea, and here's where Jesus' quote comes from. But in contrast, instead of bearing a grudge against your people, but love your people as yourself. That's what that means. Don't bear a grudge against your people. Love your people as yourself, except they used a different word. Love your neighbor as yourself. It could say, don't bear a grudge against your neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the author wanted to make sure everybody knew exactly what a neighbor was. And do you know what a neighbor was to the people who took the Jewish scriptures seriously? Other Jewish people, your people. A Jew's neighbor was a Jew's people. To love another Jew was like loving themselves because they were loving other Jews. Now, everybody knew that. If you ask anybody on the streets in Jerusalem or in Galilee and Jewish communities, who are your neighbors? They'd say, my neighbors are my people. My neighbors are my Jewish brothers and my Jewish sisters. Those are my neighbors. Now, back to Jesus and the attorney. Now, this attorney was in the audience, apparently, when Jesus added, love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he shows up, he asks his question, he knew all about the second part, and he grins, and here's how he answers the question. Jesus says, how do you read it? You know, what do you think you have to do to gain eternal life? He says, I think I have to love the Lord my, the God, my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, and all my mind. And then he grins at Jesus and says, and... I have to love my neighbor as myself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he gives Jesus, Jesus answer. But he's up to something. He's not just trying to get the right answer. He gives Jesus the answer that Jesus gave, but he's got another question and he's trying to trap Jesus. Well, Jesus smiles. I mean, very rarely does anyone answer Jesus' questions correctly. And he says, you have answered correctly. You gave the entire answer. You didn't just give the first half that everybody here was expecting. You added the horizontal part. It isn't just about keeping God happy. It's not just about eye to the sky. You can't keep God happy if you don't love the people around you. You nailed it. Way to go. Good answer. Then Jesus turns to leave. But the text says this. But he, the attorney, wanted to justify himself. He's not done. That wasn't my real question. Okay, wait, 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 before you go anywhere, I got a question behind my question. And now the question behind the question. Now the real question. Now the thing he had come to learn that he hopes when Jesus gives the answer he expects Jesus to give, game over for Jesus. And here's the question that he asked. You've heard this before. And who is my neighbor? So this guy's trying to justify himself. He says, okay, you can't just walk away and say, love my neighbor as myself, that's too broad. Who is my neighbor? In other words, here's this real question. What is the minimum amount of neighbor loving required in order to get God's favor? That's the real question. And Jesus never gave his audience. He never gives us the minimum requirement. So he's not gonna answer the question, you know, how low can you go when it comes to neighbor love? So the question's sitting out there. And who is my neighbor? That's the question the guy asked. And who is my neighbor? And then Jesus, I just love this. 
Jesus at that point launches into his most disorienting, paradigm shifting parable of all. This is the most disorienting, paradigm shifting parable I think that Jesus delivered. So the question is, who is my neighbor? Everybody's waiting for Jesus to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And I love this about Jesus. And Jesus smiles and he says, well, let me tell you, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. Okay, wait, 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 wait. That's not what I asked. Who is my neighbor? You're changing the subject. This is what you do, Jesus. We ask you a simple question. You tell a story that has nothing to do with the question. Just answer the question. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. And of course they stripped him of everything, of all of his clothes because clothes were very valuable. If you were gonna kill somebody, take their clothes. You always took their clothes. Clothes were very, very valuable, okay? So they take their clothes, they beat him and they went away and they left him half dead. The Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's not just a parable that Jesus taught, it's an idiom. We use this terminology all the time. Oh, she was such a good Samaritan. Oh, he was such a good Samaritan. Those kids were good Samaritans for that, for that woman. Oh, he was a good Samaritan for his neighbor. Oh, another good Samaritan. This is, this is remarkable. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, Jesus introduced a word picture through a story that continues to impact our culture today. In fact, this story impacts you as we're gonna see in just a minute when we get to the question that he lands the plane with that just causes everybody to go into a tizzy. 2,000 years ago, this is why I say, okay, look up here just a second, okay. This is why I say, you should follow Jesus. You really should. In fact, if you're into the whole Good Samaritan thing and doing good for other people, you, you've already taken a step. This is what Jesus called people to do and here's what you need to understand. This was not common. The world was about to change. This was a hinge moment in the life of Jesus. If everybody in the world, if everybody in your community, if everybody in your country, if everybody, you know, wherever you live in your, your city, where, if everybody in your family would simply take this one teaching of Jesus seriously for one month, it would change the feeling of whatever community or family or nation embraced it for one month. It's that powerful, we are still talking about it. You knew the story before it started. Okay, back to the story. So he tells the story, this guy's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he gets beat up, left for dead. And you know that maybe you know this part of the story. And in the story, Jesus says, these two religious types were coming from Jerusalem also to Jericho, religious leaders, and they pass by their bruised and bleeding Jewish neighbor and they don't lift a finger. They probably thought, well, he deserved it because there was a lot of that kind of thinking back in those days. Hey, you know, what goes around comes around. If you're bruised and bleeding, you deserve to be bruised and bleeding. I'm not bruised and bleeding. I deserve not to be bruised and bleeding. So why would not bruised and bleeding interface with bruised and bleeding? I'm just gonna go about my merry way because you're getting what you deserve. That's, that's how many people thought. In fact, there are countries in this world, places in this world today that still believe that. Now I gotta say one more thing. And let me tell you why you don't believe that. Because of the teachings of Jesus whether you're a Christian or a Jesus follower or not. Now, if Jesus' greatest hits formula, love God, love your neighbor, love God, love your neighbor, if Jesus' greatest hits formula is true, then the two religious people that passed by the bruised and bleeding Jewish neighbor, they were doomed because they did not love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their strength because they did not love their Jewish neighbor. And everybody in Jesus' crowd gets this. They get the implication, but Jesus isn't finished. So the two Jewish religious people pass by on their way to wherever they're headed. And then Jesus, because he was just so great, he says, 
but a Samaritan. Now, if you grew up in church, you heard Jews and Samaritans don't get along. It's way bigger deal than that, okay? The, the best way to describe the relationship between Jews and Samaritans in the, the first century, in fact, in a bunch of centuries, but for sure the first century, was institutionalized racism. That's what this was. It was a bit like apartheid. It was everybody knew what the rules were, everybody knew what the boundaries were, nobody questioned them, nobody crossed them. I mean, this was institutionalized racism. Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They didn't speak, they certainly didn't touch each other, they didn't intermarry. I mean, it, these were just the unspoken rules and everybody knew in that culture. And Jesus, because he's Jesus, Jesus at the risk of losing the crowd. In fact, at this point, the attorney must have smiled to himself and go, okay, this is gonna be great. Because if he makes the Samaritan, the hero in this story, game over for Jesus because this is almost a, this is predominantly a Jewish audience. In fact, it's safe to assume that many in Jesus' audience assumed that in this story, a Samaritan was responsible for the robbery to begin with. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. Now, they're thinking, surely he's not gonna make the Samaritan the hero of the story, but he's Jesus, so he did. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he did what the religious people didn't do, he took pity on him. And then, Jesus, because he's Jesus, he makes this guy like the extra mile, are you kidding me, who would do that kind of thing, hero. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, which meant a Samaritan touched a Jew. This, they were freaking out at this point, okay? He bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, expensive. Then he put the man, he picked the guy up and put him on his own donkey, which meant the Jewish man rode, the Samaritan walked, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now, very few in Jesus' audience would do such a thing for a Samaritan, and probably none of them knew a Samaritan that would do that kind of thing for a Jewish traveler. The next day, this is when Jesus just twists the knife. The next day, I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean the next day? Are you telling me that you, you're expecting me to believe that a Samaritan spent the night with a Jewish man to keep him alive and to tend to his wounds? I mean, it's one thing to, you know, give, you know I'll make a call. You know, let, me, let me call somebody, I'll be, be right with you. But he actually took him, took care of him, and spent the night. I mean, did he really expect his audience to believe this? The next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look, af look after him, he said. And when I return, I mean, Jesus just piles on and piles on and piles on. And when I return, because I'm gonna come back and check on this guy, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This was so over the top. But that's what Jesus did. And everybody was leaning in. And then once folks kind of settled down, because there's just this uproar of you've got to be kidding. Once everybody settled down, I love this. Jesus did something that no one in his audience would live long enough to appreciate. Do you know what Jesus did next? Jesus redefined neighbor for everybody in every nation, in every following generation. From this point forward in history, from this point forward, no one would have the freedom to define neighbor in terms of location alone. And no one would have the permission, no one would have the right, no one, and no one would dare limit their definition of neighbor to people who are just like themselves. 
That, that to the shock and awe of his audience, that Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor beyond Galilee and beyond Judea, beyond a single ethnicity. I mean, this was shocking. But the most shocking thing of all, and the thing that we completely miss because we're English people in the 21st century, is that Jesus expanded the definition of neighbor beyond the Jewish scriptures. And he did it with one perfectly timed, perfectly crafted question. And it's a question that causes all of us, Christian or not, this isn't even a Christian thing, this is just a human thing. But it draws our attention to this fabulous person, Jesus. It's a question that forces me and forces you to examine our hearts, to examine our prejudices, to examine and ask the question, is there still a bit of racism left in me, even though our culture has certainly abandoned that whole idea, it's just a horrible, horrible thing, but is there any of that in me? And this question forces all of us to examine our hearts. It forces us to ask the question, is there still contempt in me for certain kinds of people? Which of these, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? <laughs> which of these three, this is not a difficult question, which is what makes the question so horrible, so convicting, so weighty? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Now, we miss this because we weren't there and we're not Jewish and we're not first century. Let me give you the unabridged question that Jesus was really asking and the one that no doubt the people in his audience heard him ask. This was the unspoken question that was loud and clear. <clears throat> Here's the real question. Which of these three loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving a stranger as himself? That was the question. And that shifted the thinking. And that touched and impacted the world. Which of these three, which of these three treated a stranger like a neighbor? Which of these three was the hero. And in this moment, with this question, Jesus makes hero status accessible to you and to me, whether we are Jesus followers or not. In this moment, Jesus takes away all my excuses and all of your excuses not to step into the role of hero at some point in your life. And the crowd was quiet. And the teacher, the expert in the law who came to trap and to trick Jesus is standing there thinking, why in the world did I ask that stupid question? Because everyone else is seated. The only two people standing are the, teach, you know, the expert in the law and Jesus, and now he's on the spot. And he knows the answer to the question. And if he answers it, don't miss this, this is so dramatic. If he answers it out loud, he becomes accountable to his own answer. Every one of you who are parents, you get this. You have tried to get your kids to answer a question out loud because if you can get your kids to finally say yes or no, then they're accountable and they won't answer the question because they know if I say yes, I'm agreeing and I'm accountable, so I'm just gonna dodge it and walk out and make excuses and argue. But you know that they know the answer to the question, but once you speak it out loud, you're accountable to your own words. The expert 
of the law, the expert in the law, who came to trick and to trap Jesus, who had a question behind the question, who had an agenda. The expert in the law replied, what else could he say? The one, he couldn't say Samaritan. He has to describe him, it's, it's too much. The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus grins, big toothy Jesus grin, I think. And he says, go, do likewise. Be the Samaritan. No applause, stunned silence, something in the world had changed. Because neighbor love, neighbor love was no longer, neighbor love no longer had geographical or ethnic boundaries. Neighbor love was as big as the world. The days of neighbor love being restricted to people who are just like me, those days were coming, they hadn't come yet, those days were coming to an end, and here's why. Because very soon after this discussion, Jesus would become a neighbor to everyone, everywhere, and every generation. And he would demonstrate his own love for you, and for you, and for you, and for me, by stooping down to bind and to heal the sin wounds of this world. Because all of your problems and all of your challenges stem from sin. And Jesus would be the Samaritan for you and for me. And when he did, the world changed and neighbor love would never be confined to a neighborhood again. And it would cost him more than two nights stay in a motel. It would cost him his life. So now I'm gonna ask you this terrifying question that makes hero status accessible and takes away your excuses. Which of these three, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You know who it is? It's the one who saw a need and met it. It's the one who knew the price and paid it. It's the one who didn't talk himself out of it. Which of these three, let's tease it out. Which of these three love the Lord as God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength by loving a stranger as himself? The one who saw a need and met it the one who knew the price and paid it, and the one who didn't talk himself out of it. Which of these three was the hero? The one who saw the need and met it. The one who knew the price and paid it. The one who didn't talk himself out of it. And then Jesus says to his audience, he says to the lawyer, he says to you, he says to me. Okay, it's pretty simple. It's a horrible question because everybody knows the answer to it. Go and do likewise, be the Samaritan. So, we're done. Be the Samaritan, go and do likewise. Be the hero, if you can meet a need, meet it. If you can pay the price, why not pay it? And don't talk yourself out of it every single time because meeting needs and paying price, that's what modern day heroes do. And that's what Jesus did for you 
And that's what he's commanded all of us to do as well. Hey, as always, thank you so much for listening to this week's Your Move podcast and a special thanks to all of our financial supporters who make this podcast possible. If you would like to make a tax-deductible gift to Your Move, it's very easy. You simply text Your Move, all one word, that's Y-O-U-R-M-O-V-E, to 77977. Just text Your Move to 77977. Or you can visit our website and donate there at yourmove.is slash give. That's yourmove.is slash give. Again, thank you so much for your support.